Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Patrick Darty here today with John Daigle, Kyle Dvorak, Patrick Crane, where we will be previewing Thursday night football and some of Week Six's biggest games. That includes the Chargers at the Ravens and the Bears hosting the Packers. We got Crane's stat of the week, and we're going to dive into every fantasy relevant player. You know, guys, last week I tried to ask you about baseball and basically got greeted. Like I was like the you're like really mean stepdad. Like, why did you ask me about <laughs> baseball? And I was just wondering, I mean, like, what is your guys? So none of you like baseball. What are your second favorite sports after football, Dangle? What is your second favorite sport? I mean, you have to have a second favorite sport, right? I watch a lot of golf. I watch a lot of golf's not a sport, but uh, a sport, you know, come on. Um, basketball, if you want to be greedy. Uh, and then live hockey games are the best. Live football. No one knows this. Live football is atrocious. It's the worst. Uh, I can't believe people actually go to games. But live hockey, it's like NASCAR. It's a totally different speed than what you see on TV. So that personally is my favorite. Yeah, I'm glad like golf is a sport. Live football, this is too much. You see those Chiefs fans like knocking each other out this week. There's a lot of that at pro football games. I uh, could do without that. With the even, little- even like a deep throw 20 yards downfield, uh, there's something different about the camera zooming out and having to follow the ball than when you see it live. And it's just like a lawn dart that slowly goes like five yards yeah. in front, even though it is a deep <laughs> throw, and then just plops down. It's not as exciting. It's <laughs> interesting. It is totally different. It's interesting in a different way. But I agree. It is one sport that actually is probably looks more exciting on TV. I mean, Crane, do we have a second sport here? Or are you just f- football till you die? Well, I agree about the the point about live football not being as good as, as it is on TV. There's something to be said for seeing some, some of the players. Like I remember seeing Alshon Jeffrey in person and he looking like just much bigger than Brandon Marshall, which was really <laughs> kind of striking. Um, but overall, I mean, I saw a preseason hockey game that I think was about as exciting as any live football uh, <laughs> game that I've seen. So, yeah, I grew up playing baseball and I, I do like baseball. Um, okay, there you go. Just not to... Just not to put it into my eyes from the television that's that's uh not See, my favorite way to enjoy it you guys misunderstand baseball like the beauty of baseball on tv is that you don't have to sit riveted you kind of come in and out of the room all of a sudden say one of the cardinals horrible relievers has loaded the bases for no reason then you sit down you can take it in and you don't have to be like glued into your tv set for three and a half hours you can kind of so come and go your cell uh, is that it's it's boring enough 
that well, you can no, hold on. It's, watch it. It's comforting <laughs> to have on, and then there are moments of high drama that pull you in. Sure, like I could definitely Jeopardy just watch the highlights afterwards, though, right? Like, I could I could just tune in for, like, <laughs> six minutes of action on, like, some YouTube channel called, like, BaseballHighlights.net or something and get the get the general gist of it. I'm on board. I think we're all, like, secretly, like, closeted hockey writers where we're just like, yeah, I really wish hockey was more popular because that's the sport we all care about. Cause I think hockey is, like, super interesting uh, in a way that I don't find myself with, like, baseball, even basketball. Uh, not, like, huge in other sports, but I think we're all just, like... Uh, we all appreciate the speed and complete absurdity of hockey. I, I got to give a shout to season-long fantasy hockey, by the way. It's one of the better fantasy sports. I got my league started last night. Steven Stamkos, two assists. Really appreciate that, Steve. We're all hoping to stay healthy this year. Uh, good luck to the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2021-22. We begin with football this week in Philadelphia, where the Eagles are hosting the Bucks, Six-and-a-half-point home underdogs. There's a lot going on with the Eagles, Daigle, but – I want to begin with the Bucks, where I'm just got what is the pecking order in the Bucks receiver core right now? We got Mike Evans on a tear, Antonio Brown back to back seven catch efforts. Uh, Chris Gowis does more receiving yards on the season, but he hasn't had the ceiling that either Evans or Brown has displayed. How are you ranking this like in a, any given week the Bucks wide receivers? And it was at least good to see Godwin back to a 25% target share this past week after his target share progressively decreased in three consecutive games leading up to week five. The results are going to spike. They're going to be everywhere. But what we've seen is still, even though it's three wide receivers, a condensed target share in the four games they've all played together this year. Evans leads the other two with a 20.7% target share, but Godwin's right behind him, 19.6%, and Antonio Brown, 16.4%. I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly which one weekly will lead the team in production, but all genuinely are tremendous starts weekly. Yeah, all three, it's kind of like these old Broncos days, right? Kind of like maybe the Cowboys could be with Michael Gallup, where all three are top 24. I mean, like, are we comfortable saying that, that all three Bucks wide receivers can be top 24? Or is AB not quite in the top 24 yet? I would say I'd throw him in there because they're, I mean, they're literally on pace to throw for over 6,000 yards, given that that's, you know, it's, it's a 17th uh, extra game. You know, the 17th extra game kind of skews that versus normal. But like, what? Oh, they're on pace to throw for 5,700 yards, right? <laughs> and over 50 touchdowns, even if you're the team's third receiver, which he interestingly hasn't even played on two-thirds of the snaps in any individual game. He's clearly more in the mix with, like, the, uh, you know, the Rob Gronkowski or Giovanni Bernard types but he's just so explosive. Like he really does look close enough to old AB that you are perfectly fine with two thirds of the snaps, getting you like borderline wide receiver, two numbers. That's where I was going to head is that he's not running as many routes as the other guys, mm -hmm. but what he's doing with those routes is really special. Uh, when you see a guy getting targeted on 25% of his routes, that's impressive. Just like period. But he has an eight out of 14.8. He's a deep threat and he's getting targeted at a super high rate. That's like, very impressive. That's elite usage. So I think my thing with Brown is that while I would definitely prefer him to run more routes, the fact that he isn't actually does have some upside. Like his role can grow. They can reconfigure who's running routes on, on what plays and maybe Brown, like with this usage, Brown could be the number one in this offense if he was running routes anywhere near where Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are. And Evans is at 88%, Godwin on the season 92%. Brown just down at 64%. So uh, I think he's the third guy for now just because we need our players to be on the field. But there's there's definitely upside for Brown. Daigle, any closing thoughts on the Bucks wide receivers or do we put a bow on it? We can put a bow on it. Uh, it's 
tough, I know, and start sick question for yourself to get Antonio Brown ahead of what we perceive sometimes as low-end wide receiver twos, like Allen Robinson, for instance. But it's just a better offense and better situation. So even the past couple of weeks, I've been benching someone like Adam Thielen for Antonio Brown, who the rankings might not show it, but Brown is genuinely yeah. a better play because he has a higher ceiling. Oh, wait, wait, we don't talk about wide receiver fives like Allen Robinson on the show. So <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's a good like dynasty stash. Maybe he'll break yeah. out in like two yeah. or three years or something. I'll put one. He's final a free agent after the year. So <laughs> Matt, like what terrible quarterback is he going to find himself with next year? I don't even want to know. It's going to be like Zach Wilson or something. Uh, oh but I, I'll put one final bow. Chris Godwin leads the team in end zone targets, leads the team in red zone targets, and is tied fourth in touchdowns with Giovanni Bernard. That has something has to give there, right? If he is being the clear red zone weapon and the clear guy they go to score touchdowns, I don't think he's a you know a less than you know two out of five games with touchdowns type of guy. Like he could be a fourteen touchdown in a season guy. I think he regresses in terms of touchdowns in a positive way. Someone mentioned our boy Gronk. He should hopefully be back, but we actually don't know. Kind of conflicting reports on Gronk. Uh, uh, he got ruled out like he minutes got ruled before out. we went on. Uh, well, there you go. Yeah. So Gronk, don't. Uh, I mean, top five, even though he's not playing this week. Uh, anybody? I'm still. I'm going to leave him in the top five, even though he's been ruled out. Uh, Leonard Fournette has 39 touches over the past two weeks. Giovanni Bernard re-entered the mix in week five. Dago, I saw you nodding, so I'll go to you. I mean, Fournette. What is he? Like, what is his weekly rank rankings baseline? Is he safely top 20? Is he top 18? Is he even higher than that? Or is this kind of like a momentary blip where Gio wasn't 100% healthy? Not that Gio is ever going to be 100% healthy, but weekly rankings baseline for Leonard Fournette. I was curious last week to see what happened with Bernard back in the picture. Since recall, it was negative game script, but just in having a season high in snaps, routes, run, and targets in the week prior against the Rams, was curious if he was going to come back in and his start afterwards or game afterwards and make a dent into Fournette's timeshare. But what happened is that Fournette actually ran, besides you know the 39 touches the past two weeks, Fournette ran 29 routes to Bernard's nine, a significant tree that Bernard, that Fournette has over both Ronald Jones and Bernard. So I think we are seeing a middle of the road RB2 in the making right now as like the changing of the guard has happened since week two. At least until he loses two fumbles, but very true. we can dream until then. I think with Bernard, I think we kind of talked about this early in the season. It just seems like Gio is like, he's like literally the two minute back. He's not the third down back. He's yep. like only the two minute back. And it, that's very, very good for Leonard Fournette. Pat, you said so. You 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 teased the stat of the week is going to be about the Eagles' passing game. I'll just set you up to talk about the Eagles' passing game in general. But Jalen Hurts, just to uh, you, you don't have to tackle this one to begin. But Jalen Hurts finished with QB six, QB twelve, QB ten, QB four, and QB eleven. He's only the QB seven by average weekly points still. But uh, give us the state of the Eagles' uh, passing attack. And is like Jalen Hurts like a set and forget like top eight quarterback at this point? Well, I think he is, and he's second in quarterback rushing attempts, too. So it's really nice. But the, the stat of the week is, is just the setup here for them to pass just an ungodly amount because teams facing the Buccaneers have an average pass rate over expected of 17%, which is absurdly high. Uh, the Buccaneers, for reference, lead the league. Their offense is 12% over expected. Against them, teams are averaging 17% over expected. The Third place Washington pass funnel defense is actually closer to the Chargers run funnel defense, or they're as close to the Chargers run funnel as they are to the Buccaneers. So even other pass funnels actually are closer to run funnels than they are to the Tampa Bay 
pass funnel. So, you know, you're setting up the Eagles to pass a lot more than they normally would, but they have already shown. Do they already run the ball ever? (laughs) Yeah, they don't run the ball. So they, when they, last time they were in a setup like this, they passed 21% over expected. This was against the Cowboys who are the second highest pass funnel defense. The only teams that have passed more than the Eagles did against the Cowboys in terms of pass rate ever expected have been the Dolphins, Patriots, and Cowboys in the weeks when they were facing the Buccaneers. So it's just set up for the for the Eagles to go absolutely nuts in terms of pass attempts. Meanwhile, as I mentioned, Tampa Bay leads the league in pass rate over expected on offense. The Eagles defense is a slight run funnel, but I don't think Tampa Bay is going to care about that. They're going to be passing. The Eagles are going to be – they might not run the ball outside of Jalen Hurts' scrambles. <laughs> so it's just going to be an insane pass attempt situation here. Per the great Ryan McDowell, Jalen Hurts is also the only player at any position in fantasy who has finished top 12 in every game this year. So yeah, that's safe from the start as you have literally in all of fantasy. I couldn't believe that when I like accidentally found that. I'm like, surely Jalen Hurts is like a QB 31 week mixed in here. And he just doesn't. And he what? feels – why does he feel more volatile than he is? Just because he's not like an amazing – He's not easy on the eyes because he's he not that good. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> but is, he's great for fantasy. That's what like the forty-five pass attempts per game, a league high the Bucks are facing. Um, on one hand, you don't want Jalen Hurts like only throwing. That's not good. On the other hand, we are getting the ball in his hands more, and that's what matters. Since it's not even really designed scrambles, he's or designed runs. He's doing this via scrambles as well. And it took a couple layups, little bunny one-yard runs for two touchdowns last week against the Panthers. But nonetheless, Jalen Hurts always comes out. As a top 12 player. Uh, Crane, it sounds like you described uh, Kenneth Gainwell in the captain spot because he's going to get 14 RB targets against the Bucks, or or no. How, how do we feel about Kenny Gainwell in DFS? I have no idea why I'm asking about Kenny Gainwell in DFS. But the thought well, I, I guess you're uh... – you don't you don't have the guts to play Zach Ertz there? No, well, I, that was that was a, a prompt I have written here. Literally, Zach Ertz in the captain spot? Question mark. So talk about Ertz. Who wants to talk about Ertz in this DFS? Do we eat the Ertz chalk on these small slates, and do we just do we have to get Ertz in there in season long? He's tied with Devonta Smith in terms of targets per route run. Uh, he they're they're throwing Ertz is looking for him, and so I think if Goddard is out. It's pretty interesting. He's only run around on fifty six percent of dropbacks, so he actually has quite a ways to go. Like he could run around on you know seventy five percent of dropbacks, eighty percent, and uh, you know it's a pretty gross captain. I'd probably rather play Kenny Gainwell there myself, <laughs> depending on pricing. I haven't reviewed the slowdown showdown pricing yet, but but yeah, uh, I think I, it's defensible. I, I question Ertz's skilling. He has a 17% target share alongside Goddard even the past three games. But even then, just 11 catches for 120 yards and a touchdown. We know he's not really a ceiling player. Having said that, it doesn't matter in a terrific passing game script, as we've already described. Plus, if he gets 12 targets, who cares about his ceiling? He's going to get there on the point floor anyways. For Gainwell, though, I am quite excited because I think it was an anomaly performance that Miles Sanders outtouched him 60 to 16 to 3 last week on a season high 75% of Philadelphia's offensive snaps. If they're going to be passing more, we have seen that it's still Gainwell's role. And so I do have confidence in him as a PPR RB3 this week. Kyle, real quick, we were talking about other sports earlier. You're a GPP winner in three different sports that we know of. I mean, I don't even know what other sports you've maybe <laughs> taken down a GPP in. And who are you putting in the captain spot on Thursday night? 
I mean, it wouldn't be Zach Ertz. Not because I don't think Zach Ertz won't project well. I think he's 3,200. I looked at score. I looked at pricing uh, like a few hours ago. Not that he won't project well. Like he's he's just a lock for like a seven for 25 and zero stat line, which at 3,200, <laughs> that's what nine, nine points or something like that. That's perfectly fine for his price. But the thing is like you pay up for a slightly worse projection from Quest Watkins, who probably doesn't see as many targets, oh, no. right? But oh. you, uh, but he has such a higher ceiling that I would just never, uh, you know, never play chalk Zach Ertz. I would play Zach Ertz when Dallas Goddard is back and people are like, Zach Ertz is dead. But as Karine said, he gets targeted a lot, even despite being a committee tight 21 end. 21 so. targets over the past three weeks. Yeah, I want to play Zach Ertz like low ceiling, not very fun when he's not popular because those types of players make sense when they're not going to be, uh, quote, good plays. I'm looking on showdown to essentially just play the bad play. So I'll take Gainwell, uh, who probably projects for fewer targets plus carries. I'll play Watkins, who might see two targets but one of them could be a 60-yard bomb. I'm not, I'm not playing Zach Ertz. Are you kidding me? Someone needs to stick up for the bad plays when Denny's not here, so <laughs> we appreciate that, Kyle. Uh, next, we have two 4-1 teams coming off a pair of offensive explosions as the Ravens host the Chargers as three-point home favorites. Corrine, with Mark Andrews percolating, Rashad Bateman hopefully returning, how high should Marquise Brown be in the ranks? Who's the wide receiver six right now by average half PPR points, even with the most infamous fantasy performance of the year with the three dropped touchdowns a few weeks ago is, is Marquise, is he like too big to fail at this point? Or is he someone where maybe we should be selling high with Bateman coming back and Andrews is kind of rampaging. Yeah. I mean, I would be selling on, you know, wide receiver six, but I think you could defend him as a top 12 option at this point. Um, that same setup that I mentioned for Antonio Brown, where he's getting targeted on a, on a very high percentage of his routes with deep threat usage, we have that here too. He's got a 23% target per route run, and he's got an dot of 15. The nice thing about Marquise Brown is that he runs a lot more routes. He's run a route on 83% of dropbacks. He's been highly efficient. He's gotten 11.9 yards per target. That's the part where we're going to see that decline. But his underlying volume is still supporting him to the point where when it does decline, he's still going to have a very valuable role. Even with Bateman coming back, I'm not like that concerned, partly because Sammy Watkins, had also he's been targeted this year on 21% of his routes. Wow. So there's a potential for another wide receiver here, plus Andrews, plus Brown, to have a role. And we don't know yet. I'm, I'm a big Bateman believer, but we don't know yet how good he is. And what we've seen from Brown is that the connection's really strong this year, playing pretty well outside of one disastrous performance. And even in that performance, he was getting open, and he's getting open deep. So I think I'm willing to buy into Marquise Brown as kind of a low-end wide receiver one right now. We don't know the severity of it just yet, but Sammy Watkins' hamstring injury made life easier for Bateman, who of course has to be active this week or he's out for the entire year since his 21-day window has run its course. I would expect him to be active, and if so, he just jumps into two wide sets most likely unless they want to play Miles Boykin or Devin DuVernay outside, which I doubt it. And this is a, a team being engineered right now by the first quarter MVP, averaging 33 pass attempts per game because they can't run the ball. Whenever Schefter had the report that teams have been calling about running backs, and then we saw that same evening the Ravens made Tyson Williams active, 
Ain't nobody calling about Le'Veon Bell and Devontae Freeman. <laughs> Everyone is only calling about Tyson Williams. And so since they still aren't using him correctly and still allowing Latavius Murray this past week to out-touch him 8-6, to six, what is happening is that this is Lamar Jackson's offense through the air, and he's thriving on a career-high yards per temp through the air. So, of course, we want those players involved in this offense. I guess, by the way, with Bateman, I guess they could activate him and then make him a healthy scratch, but that doesn't seem to be like that's going to happen. Daigle, when you were talking, I thought it's like the big three surprises in the top 12 at receiver have been Cooper Cup, Mike Williams, and Marquise Brown. Off the top of your head, rank those guys rest of season. Like who you trust to actually remain a wide receiver one. I mean, all three of them, it's plausible, all three of them, but just rank those big surprise uh, wide receiver ones. It's still Mike Williams, Cooper Cup, and Marquise Brown. But but I don't want to sound down on Marquise Brown. Like still very high on him. Uh, I think the floor, if he ever gets there, is still like low-end wide receiver two. Just someone you're starting confidently every single week since this offense is essentially matchup proof. Kyle, Mark Andrews, he's, uh, he's the tight end one over the past three weeks. He's the tight end two on the season now is has he made a move on Darren Waller like is he surpassing Darren Waller for tight end two or is Darren, Darren Waller he, he's only he's the sleeping son is he just sleeping and he'll wake up with the tight end two soon or is this happening with Mark Andrews yeah they kind of have flipped seasons right where Mark like uh Darren Waller opens the season with the 19 target game absolutely blow up spot and then he comes back to earth the next few games no like truly dreadful performances he's still getting targeted but he just isn't at you know that insane level of course he was never going to be there and then Mark Andrews scoring touchdowns just fine but doesn't really have a blow up spot until the fifth week of the season as opposed to the first with I believe 13 targets or 11 targets last week we're still getting I know it's obviously heavily buoyed by one outlier 19 target game from Waller but two more targets per game from Mueller. So I'm going to continue betting on that. But I do think Andrews, if he keeps playing this way, will make it. Uh, he will be sort of the replacement to George Kittle to make that top trio. Whereas, uh, like, I think TJ Hawkinson was sort of uh, TJ Hawkinson and Kyle Pitts had that potential, even despite the Kyle Pitts blow up last week. I only really see Mark Andrews. I mean, maybe if Kyle Pitts can keep this up, they were playing without Calvin Ridley and Russell Gates. So I think if there's going to be a new trio, it's going to be with Mark Andrews and then eventually it could be a, a quartet with George Kittle. Behind the scenes, Andrews also career highs and snaps and career highs and routes run on Jackson's drop back. So that's the opportunity we want to continue chasing. What, TJ Hawkinson lived his top five tight end life like a candle in the wind, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> he sure did. Uh, yeah, he really did. He gave it his all his first two weeks. And now as the only player anyone has the game plan for, he is struggling. Man, George Kittle, by the way. So rough scene there in the top five at tight end. The Chargers, so we talked about uh, Jalen Hurts being in the top five, all five, or top 12, all five weeks so far. Justin Herbert has finished as the QB 24, the QB 19, the QB 3, QB 14, and QB 1. Uh, with the biggest, his week five was the biggest fantasy output by any fantasy quarterback all season, at least, at least according to FF Today's scoring, uh, even more than Lamar Jackson was in week five. Who, who wants to take a stab at what Justin Herbert's rankings baseline should be? We know he's a QB1, but like, what should his rankings baseline be on well, a weekly basis? A weekly basis, I don't know. This game, though, all you got to do is look at Monday night and say Carson yeah. Wentz had 300 yards. Like It's that simple. <laughs> uh, this total opened around 52, I believe, already at 53.5. I was in on it, the over early, because I think that – 
essentially both offenses are matchup proof. This is going to be more of a shootout. And so although I was timid, very timid, on starting Herbert last week, reminder the Browns came in with a 76% pressure rate in their past two games. I genuinely thought he couldn't finish as a QB1. Turns out Dang. he was the overall QB1. So <laughs> For the entire season. Right. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to sit him, especially in this matchup, but week to week, I'm not sure. But right now, tons of confidence in him. I've been, you know, for for the last few weeks, been talking about the Chargers setup, and I've been impressed that they're maximizing Herbert's volume by throwing a lot and by playing quickly, and that Herbert was playing efficiently but wasn't playing like lights out. But that's really shifted over the last few weeks to where now he is playing lights out. Um, he's up to sixth in the season in, in EPA per play, and he ranks third in EPA per play over the last two weeks. So... I think that they're going to lean on him in this matchup. The thing that I've been trying to think through is how do the Ravens attack? Because to Daigle's point, they're not able to run the ball right now. They're leaning on Lamar Jackson. It's working great. But the Chargers really dare teams to run on them. And, you know, in the 2020 Ravens, would they would have jumped at the chance to run as much as the Chargers are going to let them. I, I'm really torn on how the Ravens set up and I think that could have a lot of impacts on this game. It could affect the Chargers offense, how much passing volume there is if the Ravens take them up on running the ball. Wish it could be a hundred yard like Lamar game, but did anyone else notice a Monday night football Lamar maybe looking like he's dealing with an injury? Or is that just my imagination? Or is it, it was, he got in the open field and it didn't look quite as fast as usual. I didn't know if that was just my imagination or if anyone else noticed that. I'm no film scout, but I'm guessing it was the fielder's shoes because that dude slipped more than yeah. any time I've mm. ever watched him play constantly. That's a good point. He does slip a lot, uh, but yeah, that's a good point. Uh, with the Chargers, are we have any Keenan Allen concern? The dude is 161 yards on 32 targets over the past three weeks. Just statistical noise, or is anyone here concerned about Keenan Allen? I, I'm not concerned. No, not concerned. Uh, still two more targets than Mike Williams. I don't think he has a high of a ceiling as Mike Williams in this offense, but overall, um, not only that, but still tied for the league lead and drops as well. I would imagine all of these things correct themselves eventually. His whopper is .6. Mike Williams has .63. Both those are good numbers, but Mike Williams is running very hot. Mm-hmm. Keenan Allen is not running hot. Mike Williams has the deeper A dot. He's going to be able to get there more easily. Keenan kind of needs volume to, to run his way, but stick with Keenan Allen. He's still set up really well in a good offense. And by the way, I know, Corrine, but can you explain what Whopper is just in case <laughs> someone thinks he's not eating grilled burgers? Yeah, no, the impossible Whopper, you know, it's, uh, yeah, just explain it, Corrine. Whopper is a weighted average between target share and air yard share. So it's just representative of how big of the piece of the pie the, of the passing offense the player has and Keenan Allen runs more routes than Mike Williams. So even though he's got a shallower a dot, he's got a slightly higher target share by PFF lower air yard share, but target share matters a little bit more. So yep. he's just behind Mike Williams. If we measure the, the slice of the chargers passing offense. And yeah, Keenan say- Allen also, uh, Keenan Allen also leads the team in uh, red zone targets nine to five over Mike Williams, which makes sense. Mike Williams leads the team in end zone targets because when you're at the 50, the guy who can get in the end zone from the 50 is Mike Williams. When you're at the five, the guy who can, who will most typically be targeted would be Keenan Allen. So he still has a lot of touchdown potential, despite I believe only scoring one touchdown there. And then when we know Whopper plus the red zone targets and see that Keenan Allen is still 40 fantasy points behind Mike Williams right now, there will be a correction coming is what we're saying. Thank you for attending Fantasy 101. We will meet for burgers now. (laughs) We will meet for impossible Whopper burgers at Burger King, who 
you want to sponsor the show. Uh, that's all we're saying. Uh, we're going to be for appetizers. Southwestern egg rolls at, at Applebee's, actually. It's true. Applebee's, yeah, they don't have the Whopper, but they've got the apps, and we are served by Applebee's on Sunday at noon Eastern. Check it out with myself, John, Kyle, and Denny Carter, who is uh, contractually obligated to be there. We're sorry about that, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and on Monday for the waiver wire show. That's true. Monday for the waiver wired show. Next, we have the Panthers hosting the Vikings as one point underdogs. The only story that matters is the return of Christian McCaffrey. Kyle, what do you think CMC's return does for this offense? A struggling Sam Darnold. My only concern is selfishly is that it would take any amount of targets away from DJ Moore, who is incredible. But I think it is not surprising that he has done some of his best work sans Christian McCaffrey, given that I think Robbie Anderson and Terrace Marshall would be the ones least likely to be affected because they see more of the field stretcher type, especially Robbie Anderson, whereas, uh, you know, DJ Moore. I don't want to say they operate in the same part of the field because McCaffrey's going to have a, a sub two a dot. You know, you just can't target a running back that deep down the field for the most part. DJ Moore is still going to be more of that like eight range. But if it were to draw targets away from someone, it would be DJ Moore. I honestly, though, I'm I'm still not concerned. I think DJ Moore is just such an important part of this offense that McCaffrey's McCaffrey's return just more adds play volume. It adds potential to the offense. It doesn't really take away from more. And uh, yeah, no surprise. As soon as Christian McCaffrey comes back. Is there any argument that he's the running back one? I would say last year, whenever he came back, I'm like, oh, of course not. Non-zero that Derrick Henry can still outscore him. I don't think he does, especially in any format that isn't standard because the value of six plus targets a game, which like, sure, Derrick Henry's targets are up, but he's still a two to three catch guy at best. Whereas the value of getting, you know, six plus catches in a game, being able to do a thousand thousand season. I still think McCaffrey's the one, but the gap is closed. It's like, are we expecting any nuance from CMC's usage, basically, who keeps getting hurt when he gets 35 touches? But I guess that's the question, Crane or Daigle. Are we worried about that, quote-unquote? Or does anyone think the dog who is big is actually the RB1, or is it just CMC? Well, I just look to the evidence we have from last year. And remember, he missed six games on IR, returned on the road in Arrowhead, and this same coaching staff shoved him 18 carries and 10 targets before he re-injured himself in the fourth quarter. So I think he's going to come back and just literally get the same usage. Does he get re-injured? No idea. But Hopefully they've learned from that. But in, in defense of this coaching staff, I think McCaffrey does some things for this offense that, that really opens it up. And I don't think he hurts DJ more. Like the way he's been used at times is essentially as a slot receiver, but he's not running from the slot. He's running from the backfield and he's releasing from the backfield. And then he's coming over the middle, like after a slot receiver's route would. And it's like exactly when Darnold is looking to check down. It's, it's pretty great. Like I, I'm pretty excited about the way they use him as a receiver, even more so than I've seen in previous years, he's he's been targeted on thirty percent of his routes. Like this guy's like integral piece of the passing offense, and in a way that's really not true of many other running backs. Like you know, Camaro when he's kind of at his peak, you could argue for maybe one or two other guys, but I think he helps the passing offense. That's good because Darnold was quarterback thirty-one in EPA per play last week. The only quarterback worse was Zach Wilson, so hmm, they could use a bit that. of a boost here. Moore also had 19 targets in weeks one and two with Christian McCaffrey at full go. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. He was already – Diggle, did you have any extra thoughts on McCaffrey, by the way? I didn't mean to cut you off there earlier. I didn't know if you had a McCaffrey thought that got halved. Uh, no McCaffrey thought. I would like to talk about Sam Darnold, though. Well, I was, let's throw it right to you then because Sam Darnold – I mean, this is my theme today. What is his baseline? He's been the QB 16, QB 14, QB 7, QB 1, and QB 26. Talk to us about Sam Darnold. 
Well, he's still been bad under pressure, crumbling with four interceptions, and that's what the Eagles brought to the table in pressuring him at the league's second highest rate of any quarterback in week five. And the ensuing results were his floor, which we haven't seen this year. 175 yards, three turnovers, and no rushing touchdowns as the overall quarterback 33 on the week and the Vikings offer a similar problem this week with the league's eighth highest pressure rate and fourth highest sack rate but at least CMC is now here to presumably alleviate the problem and so I do want to go back to Darnold as a low-end QB1 uh, because I think it's another terrific matchup for him through the air could have sworn he would keep scoring two weekly rushing touchdowns. Just didn't see it coming. <laughs> didn't see it coming. <laughs> Who, anyone, someone else add on to Sam Darnold here. Are we feeling mostly okay? Like CMC coming back is like a really, really big deal. But did anyone see anything like creating like long-term concern that this really isn't that different of a player than we had with the Jets? He's in a better situation. I still think he's probably fundamentally a similar player, but a similar player with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrace Marshall, Christian McCaffrey, a better coaching staff, you know, all of those things. Better field, just better city. Yeah, uh, oh, better city for sure. I really like the No, city. actually, that's not true. But, uh, come on, guys. Well, no, it is true. To be clear, I live in the one he's in now, which will I love New York. Sad. I love New York. That was I don't, not a New York shot. It is a New York shot. No, it is a New York shot. Producer, it's a New York shot. Uh, no, I mean, Whoa. everything is better around him, giving him all of the opportunities. At Pat Crane, it's a it's a better city. All right, let's be clear here. Uh, everything is better it's around not. him. <laughs> it's a fundamentally not. That is a good point. Uh, it's just like on, on zero levels. It's like <laughs> over a million. <laughs> If we're if we're playing the population game, sure. That's all that matters. Fundamentally, a similar player. He made some mistakes. I mean, he threw three interceptions. I, they weren't, you know, they weren't the most egregious. They weren't like seeing ghost interceptions. But he's fundamentally a player capable of making mistakes more so than other players. Everything is better around him, and that's kind of all that matters. He's a, I would say, probably an average quarterback in a well above average situation, and that's kind of what you were expecting from him. Who wants to take a crack at what's going on with Robbie Anderson? Is this this is Robbie canceled? Is he just like a wide receiver three with like a zero point floor? He has 179 receiving yards. He's turned 18 targets into 76 yards over the past two weeks. So are we to the point of the season? You know, injuries, buys. Are we like moving on from Robbie Anderson? Well, go ahead, Pat. No, John, I want you to know. Oh, yeah, sorry. Who? John Corrine. or Pat? Uh, my name is also Pat. I, uh, I'm an adult who can uh, get that straight. Go ahead, Corrine. Okay. I was just going to mention that he's he's a pure deep threat this year, and I think that's really hurting him. Um, and, and I talked to Kyle, who covered the game for us on Sunday. You mentioned that he had a chance. He had, like, one chance um, deep that didn't that wasn't able to connect. And that's like all he got. And that's kind of what we're seeing is that he's not able to draw targets at a high rate, only 16% targets per route run with an eight out of 15.4. You could see this turn around like on a weekly basis that dot with the target per route run that's not like abysmally low for how deep he's being targeted on average. He could connect on a couple deep shots and get there. I actually, my hot take is that his underlying usage is actually less concerning than Adam Thielen's as we get to the Minnesota side of this. Well, I was going to throw, yeah, anyone want to have any Robbie thoughts? Adam Thielen, the wide receiver 22 by average half PPR points. He only has four red zone targets. It's as many as Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Ricky Seals-Jones. So who wants to take it away on Adam Thielen and any other stray thoughts on Robbie Anderson? Yeah, very quickly on Robbie Anderson. Basically, to emphasize what Pat said, uh, even the past two weeks, 23.7% target share, one fewer target than DJ Moore. And 
that doesn't have to go away just because Christian McCaffrey comes back. Maybe, we don't know, maybe it's because Dan Arnold was gone in those two games as well. And so I'm curious to see at least the fallout. Not starting him yet, but I want to see what happens with McCaffrey back in the lineup this week. Also in that span, a route on 92% of Sam Darnold's drop back. So the usage is definitely there. For Adam Thielen, it's easier to explain because the first three weeks, we thought the touchdown regression was not going to happen after he had 20 end zone targets to (laughs) Justin Jefferson's eight last year and converted 13 of those 20 end zone targets into touchdowns, an ungodly number. And what's happened? Now he has eight fewer targets than Justin Jefferson on the year. He has 200 fewer air yards than Justin Jefferson on the year. And then more importantly, he has one fewer end zone target as well. So the regression has happened. Making Thielen essentially a touchdown or bust wide receiver too, especially because he's still playing with a lower ADON on the team. So it's worrisome right now for his wide receiver two outlook. He's getting targeted on 17% of his routes. He has an ADOT of 9.4, and we're really hoping for a touchdown. He's a tight end. That's that's the usage of a tight end. It's oh, no. basically the same play. You're just hoping it's a touchdown or bust sort of tight end play at wide receiver. It's not fun. I honestly think, if you, like for DFS purposes, that type of thing, I'd rather bank on Robbie because if he gets there, he's probably getting there on, on a big player too. I thought you were going to say KJ Osborne like for like half a second and I was going to be like, wow. That's that's a little too hot. I'm trying to do you know, a little spicy take here. Not that spicy. Uh, Dalvin Cook, I mean, if he comes back, uh, how do we think Alexander Madison might have a standalone role for a little bit? He's been playing so well. Dalvin, you know, can't stay healthy right now. Or is it just Dalvin just – no, that's just not going to happen as long as he's I don't, active. I don't think he's going to have a standalone role, but the Vikings bye week is next week. It would, right. be, it would be offensive. It would be irresponsible if they brought back Dalvin Cook this week rather than giving him the extra two weeks to rest. So I, I want oh. to say I can't imagine him coming back, but this is the Vikings, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, they're going to do it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe not, but it just seems like something they're going to do. Uh, that, that's a really good point to get at because, yeah, if you were, like, counting on Dalvin – Dangles right with the bye. Teams do that quite frequently. Even the Vikings might do that. So be aware of that. And if Cook is out again, it's simple. We've seen Madison handle 51 to 57 running back carries and his two spot starts with 100% of the running back targets, all 15 for a 20.7% target share. His usage is top five among running backs if Cook is out the picture. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.
Get an edge on your fantasy league with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for players on your team or who you are eyeing up on the waiver wire by signing up for NBC Sports Edge Plus and do it at a discount. Use the promo code GOOD10 and get 10% off your annual subscription. That is GOOD10 for 10% off an NBC Sports Edge Plus subscription. Next, we have another act of war on our ancient rival turned ally, England, with the Jaguars hosting the Dolphins as 3.5 neutral site underdogs. And I believe Wembley Stadium. I, don't, I can't remember if they're in Wembley or Tottenham Stadium this week. Uh, basically, the only player playing well right now for either of these teams is James Robinson. Kyle, where should J-Rob be ranked on a weekly basis? And are we, are we, are we all the way back in on James Robinson? I mean, as, as in as you could be on, you know, the, the workhorse back for a, a mediocre offense, you know, that I don't expect and Vegas doesn't project to ever really put up a ton of points. But I mean, that's the state of running back twos, right? And he's probably the best among those suspicious RB twos because you at least know you can nail down his workload as, you know, the bulk of the carries, the bulk of the targets that go to the running backs. So, uh, yeah, I would say you're not like excited to play him because you really don't see like the, the multi-touchdown upside on a pretty lackluster offense. But like Miles Sanders was drafted around the same range as him, and you are not excited to play Miles Sanders. Like there are way worse options you could play as your second running back. I played Robinson in DFS this past week, knowing when Carlos Hyde was active, we have already seen the changing of the guard, so it was going to go unnoticed by a lot of people. I didn't win because I didn't play Tom Brady, but nonetheless, <laughs> James Robinson now and the three games, his three last games, he's played with Carlos Hyde since week two. 67% of the snaps, 54 of 70 running back touches, and 10 of 13 running back targets with six of the nine backfield carries inside the 10-yard line, even being used the goal line back. So this is James Robinson's backfield, and he's showing he's talented enough to buck any repulsiveness the rest of the offense offers. Can I defend the offense a little bit here? Because yeah. the the offensive line <laughs> is actually playing pretty well. That's the only part of it I want to defend, but... They rank fourth in adjusted line yards by Football Outsiders. So they're blocking well for James Robinson. And then this coaching staff, who I am not defending when I say this, is setting James Robinson up for success at the expense of Trevor Lawrence. They're running – they have the 28th highest pass rate over expectation on first and 10. Uh, they're the only teams running more on first and 10, Titans, Browns, Falcons, and Texans. So they're, they're very set up to run – when the defense has to play both, which normally you want to pass there because that's more efficient and you have a rookie quarterback who you're trying to help grow. and, and uh, But who's counting? Better. But who's counting, yeah. right? But it's good for Robinson in fantasy. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think Robinson is is you know pretty trustworthy because of the overall situation actually being pretty beneficial for him. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that, Crane, because uh, Trevor Lawrence has been rushing more over the mm-hmm. past. He has 15 carries for 64 yards and two scores on the ground over the past two, even though he apparently can't do a quarterback sneak, according to his coach, even though he's like the largest human being in the NFL, then Trevor Lawrence is immediately like, no, I mean, I can do that. I mean, it's like, I don't know what he's talking about. I can do that. Uh, Is he rushing enough to kind of get in like the streamer consideration now, anybody, Trevor Lawrence, or is this still a stay away situation? I I can't believe Urban Meyer. Well, I guess I can because it's Urban Meyer said they hadn't practiced quarterback sneaks live. So they couldn't do it. Genuinely, if they hired me tomorrow, gave me 24 hours to coach, I could call a quarterback sneak. You just line up the 11 guys in their same spot and tell Lawrence to run behind his center. It's very simple. You want to talk about things I'd love to see. That would would be great. Whipping the Jacksonville Jaguars. Dago calling a running back sneak. Well, we we don't know if they're going to let Urban Meyer back on that plane after London, so I'm here if you need me. Uh, Seven scrimmages. 
we doing made. this to London? I, I, I don't understand. Yeah, it's a, this is a provocation. Part. I think it's the U.S. State Department. This is some like secret program. Uh, I, I saw last England. week that we have never, I believe we are in our 30th or maybe like 31st or second game sent to London. We have never matched up two winning teams there. And it was already determined last week that it would not happen this season because the teams heading to London this coming week were not, they're not going to be uh, plus 500 teams, but neither of them. I think they're both one and three. We hate like the entire the entire like european continent we will never send them a good game no but, Daigle, sorry we just went off the rails what were you gonna say Daigle? but we still love uh london and their indian food which is the best anyways uh trevor lawrence at least seven scrambles per game over the last three weeks so providing a rushing floor this is probably more for dfs and not his redraft outlook since even as someone who lost Russell Wilson, I saw Trevor Lawrence. Heineke was most of the answer. He was available on every waiver wire. But there were some high-stakes leagues where Lawrence was out there, and I thought, okay, like we got to go over the table here because this is the player I want to start every week. Having said that, uh, Lawrence has completed just 41% of his passes for four and a half yards per attempt and three picks against man-to-man coverage this year, cover one. And, of course, in paying their quarterbacks a high amount. Miami has led the league in cover one rate this year. So somewhat concerning for his short-term offering, but the rushing floor hopefully can still get you there this week. Lawrence has been better, significantly better over the last couple weeks as well. Uh, He's fourth in EPA per play and fourth in completion percentage over expected over the last couple weeks. So he's showing real improvement as a passer. It's a good note about the coverage. Maybe that'll hurt him, but... With the rushing and with the fact that maybe he's starting to turn into the guy we thought we were getting when he was drafted number one overall. And the fact that Miami teams are passing on them, although that's somewhat distorted by the Buccaneers just passing all over them. But you can pass on them if that's how you'd like to attack. Jacksonville's probably not going to go that way, but at least they play up-tempo. It shouldn't be a total slog here. So, uh, you know, it's not like the highest upside play, but I think he could have a good game. I just want to piggyback off something Daigle said real quick. Where I found the cliche about English food being terrible to be true, with the humongous exception of the Indian food, really? uh, of course. Yeah. So England still, you really got to up the food Did, game. The Shoes is that the place that they take you downstairs? You wait at like a cocktail bar and then you turn around and go to grab some Indian. I think that's the place. Anyways, that's my favorite spot. Man, it's just the Indian food. Yeah, it's it's check it if you you find yourself across the pond in the British Isles. No, not I don't know. Also, Nando's chicken. Like everyone knows about Nando's. It's 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 where it's at. Uh, the next game note I had just says Chenault Lowell. Uh, he had fewer targets than Dan Arnold and Jamal Agnew last week. How dare you? How dare uh, you? I think it's the second week in a row my Chenault prompt has just been Chenault Lowell. Two point five two yards per route run last week. Yeah, lay it uh, on. Yes, he only had one reception, but that one reception was worth about five receptions from a normal human being. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, do we have any faith? I mean, he literally got out-targeted by Jamal Agnew. I mean, what do we do with this? He, he only ran a route on 61% of dropbacks. So the concern, right, like literally, I found the clip. I linked to it, that exact clip in Friday Walkthrough, talking uh, where Bevel talked about, he was asked, what are you going to do with Chenault? And he's like, well, we're going to play him on two wide receiver sets now. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> then they just didn't do that. I mean, he was only out there 61%. That's not nearly enough. We want 80, 85%, 90%. He's nowhere near that. So the fact that he's been pretty efficient this year, he's tied for first place in yards per route run among Jaguars on the season. Now he's tied with Dan Arnold, which should tell you something about the state of the Jaguars offense. But, you know, it's just a matter of 
I think the coaching, you know, if he's not out there enough, then we're not going to be able to rely on him as much as we want to. They had 10 days to prepare for life without DJ Shark, and they ran Marvin Jones, Dan Arnold, Jamal Agnew, LaVisca Chanel, and Tavon Austin out there in that order and routes run. Austin with only nine fewer routes than Chanel on the day. But that is good for Dan Arnold, who is sneaking up now as a real receiving threat at tight end, just they the, the second most routes for this team. And now the past two weeks, rates increasing for an offense that we know is never going to have a lead. So overall, like Darren Arnold is going to be a fringe tight end one for as long as he's healthy. Shocked to hear Crane had like kind of a negative tone towards Dan Arnold, which man, I know that no one on this pod well, feels that way about Dan Arnold. I, I think he's just mad about Arnold taking away from Chanel. <laughs> No, I'm not mad. I'm saying tight ends that you got from the Panthers like yeah. last week should not be leading your team in yards per out run. It's yes. pretty. It's pretty questionable. Uh, yeah. Quick, quickly on the other side of the ball, this game, the Dolphins. I mean, I don't even know, man. Uh, what do we do with Miles Gaskin? Was, was that game plan specific against the Bucks? Just getting those ten targets, or has he retaken the lead? I mean, what? I mean, how do? It seems like they're literally drawing names out of a hat. Daggle, you look like you have thoughts. I, I want to squash the hype for Miles Gaskin just a little bit. Now, he's not droppable anymore because we've seen they will use him, which we did not believe two weeks ago. But in week four, Malcolm Brown had nine of Miami's 16 backfield touches on a season high in snaps, while Miles Gaskin recorded two-year lows in snaps, carries, and targets. Then in week five, of course, Gaskin recorded a career high with 10 targets and 15 touches in all on a season high 69% of their snaps. So I genuinely think it's because, as we discussed earlier, teams throwing at a league high rate against the Bucks. that's what the Dolphins did in putting Gaskin in. And I bet the game plan against Jacksonville will lean more towards Malcolm Brown. Having said that, I don't know for sure. I think it's impossible to predict what this backfield is going to do. And if it is Malcolm Brown leading in touches, we don't even want to play Malcolm Brown. So a finicky situation. And yeah, Malcolm Brown getting nine percent of snaps last week is is pretty nuts. After I was going to say he didn't have a carry, did he? Like no. I know they didn't. They didn't carry a lot. No. They didn't. Uh, they didn't rush the ball a lot. But they had seven running back rush attempts, and Brown didn't get one. It literally is like like straws out of a hat in yeah, terms of who it's going to be. The only thing we know is maybe Miles Gaskin will get the receiving work, but that like that doesn't even feel like a certainty. feels more certain as of last week, but I can't even confidently say that like we're not going to see four, like four to six Salvin Ahmed targets out of nowhere next week. That's what yeah. I want. I want Ahmed week. No, we it's don't coming. want that. It's coming. It's coming. Yes, we do. Quite clearly. Is Patrick Laird still on this roster? We got to get him in the run. <laughs> By the way, we don't even know. Spot. It's Wednesday afternoon. We don't even know who the Dolphins quarterback is going to be, so it's kind of it would be hard to even really say anything. About it's, the, uh, I think it's going to be Tua. I think it's, it seems like it's going to be Tua, but we just don't know for sure. It seems like it's going to be Tua. Uh, and I will say, you're still starting to sicky, but I'm curious because my, uh, he's had a 19.6% target share, team high, with Jacoby Brissett under center since week two. Whereas remember, in week one, that's when he had a season low 7.5% target share. And that game was without Will Fuller as well, as Tua averaged 7.5 yards per attempt in that game. So just curious to see what happens with Tua back under center with Jasicki. Yeah, it'd be nice to just see this Dolphins offense actually. It's not going to be a great offense, but been nowhere even close to hole this year. It was just so many issues. So. Hopefully they at least get Tua back and start building some momentum towards something, anything. Uh, the Bears host the Packers as, I would say, surprisingly modest four-and-a-half-point home underdogs. Daigle, I'm not sure what the deal with that line is. Maybe you could tell us. And Daigle, did we get the RB2 usage we needed out of Damian Williams in Week 5, or was Khalil Herbert's huge workload just 
too close for comfort, even though, as you pointed out in a tweet, Williams was the guy on third down still, and he was the guy inside the 10-yard line. Uh, how, how do we feel about Damian Williams in the Bears' backfield after that game? And that was a concerted effort to get Damian Williams three of the team's four carries inside the 10. Having said that, I think both sides won. Herbert seems like he's going to offer a floor, even though 11 of his 18 carries came in the second half when they were resting a 14 to three lead the bears and 14 to three doesn't sound like much. I assure you when you watch that game, that was insurmountable to the Raiders offense that had nothing to do with a game plan. And Herbert still ran just three fewer routes, 10 to seven to Damian Williams didn't earn a target, but being that close, I think he can stumble into a couple as a high floor uh, RB three RB four behind Williams. But yes, it's definitely Williams who we want in a competitive game. I would think Williams has even more of a touch share over Herbert. So I think we like both actually in fantasy. So do do you feel safe calling Damian Williams an RB2, John? A low-end RB2. The issue is this offense just doesn't have volume. It's uncreative. Uh, Teams are going to know what they have to throw at them weekly, even though the Packers, I think, are still – a little, uh, a little off in their EPA defense. Uh, it's not a defense I'm threatened by just yet. So, yes, I have confidence in starting Damian Williams because I think he'd be using negative game script as well. That's the thing that I like about him is 15% target share. He had 17.9 fantasy, expected fantasy points according to uh, PFF. So pretty big workload last week, even though he only had 48% of the snaps. To the game, the game script points, I think that's kind of masking some excitement here for Williams. They're not going to be in positive game script. They might be in neutral game script. They might be in in poor game script. But I I don't think they're going to be, you know, leading, dictating to the Packers in this game. So uh, with the 50% target share, that, that presents some really nice upside. Yeah, and you run into the same issue as you do this week where, you, you know, Damian Williams' targets will probably get you there. But Khalil Herbert, assuming he's seen like almost none of the, the third down hurry up receiving type of work, They're not favorites this week. I don't expect them to win. And then they get Tampa Bay next week, which I don't expect any of the running backs to produce as rushers. But if you can get five to six, you know, Damian Williams targets, that gets you there. You're not getting that type of work from Herbert. So, like his, you know, it was a good sign that he didn't get blanked or anything. Damian Williams didn't just completely run laps around him. But it's not very useful for the next two weeks. Speaking of not very useful, Justin Fields has yet to have a useful streamer outcome. Is Is he removed from streamer consideration until he actually demonstrates some upside demonstrates being ever put in a position to succeed. Like it's hard to say a guy with his legs is not in the streamer mix, but can we, how could we possibly trust Justin well, Fields as a streamer? He has legs, but Nagy and Laser <laughs> wouldn't know it. Uh, yeah. They've called just four total design carries for him the past three starts, as he has just six carries total the past three weeks. He's not offering anything. The Bears haven't even thrown over 24 pass attempts in four consecutive games. So it's genuinely just not an offense that provides excitement through the air for anyone. By the way, if you go look up his his rushing numbers, and I don't know if you accounted for this, Dago, but two of the designed runs that he's had are kneel downs. So oh, no, it's I like, didn't know it, that. Okay. It's oh worse gosh. than it looks. I don't know why I'm laughing when I should be crying. <laughs> that's, a, that's the stat of the week. I don't care what yeah. you said about the Eagles. That's the stat <laughs> of the week, that two of the designed runs were kneel downs. Uh, so he, what's the uh, – Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, I mean – is it even like wide receiver four viability with these guys? Like, I mean, what what can we possibly say about the Bears wide receivers right now? 
Yeah, sadness and silence comes from the entire crowd as all of us struggle. How how deep can we go? Wide receiver three for Allen Robinson. We know he has a history of playing well with bad quarterback play, but he needs his quarterback to be playing. And right now they're trying to just completely shut down the offense and win games. Like like Daigle said, they'd love to run on a 14-3 lead. That's the ideal scenario. Like I said, the next two weeks, we at least expect them to be losing. I, I firmly expect them losing against Tampa Bay. We know they're underdogs in this week. Maybe that boosts the volume. It should, in theory, boost the volume. Allen Robinson, maybe wide receiver three. I guess you can say that. Darnell Mooney, I'm still, as we talked about last week, our sample size on Allen Robinson leading every team he's ever played on in targets is enough for me to say clearly still Robinson over Mooney. Clearly a lot of guys over both of them, though. It's- yeah. Uh, he's been Robinson's okay. 29 targets in the first five games. That's the fewest he's seen in his entire career, all the way back to 2014 in that span. And he has a 23.7% target share on the year, but also 23% of 20 attempts per game. That's not the volume that's going to get you there. So there are just a lot of reasons to be down on him. He is underperforming his volume a little bit, only a 6.5 mm-hmm. yards per target. He really ought to be performing more like Darnell Mooney, but that, that's not great. Like That's not what we signed up for, that no. he might get to where Darnell Mooney is. So I think I think he has two things working for him. I think he should see more targets. I agree that over the course of the season, he'll lead the team in targets over Darnell Mooney, I think. And then also he's underperforming that on a per-target basis. So the couple things kind of moving in the right direction for Robinson, hopefully, but... I mean, he's he really is closer to Darnell Mooney as a as a kind of archetype of play right now than we really would like him to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. I loved Darnell Mooney in the preseason. Never dreamed that he would both a not be good for fantasy and b somehow even better than Allen Robinson. It's just a it's a toxic waste dump yeah. right now in the Bears passing attack. On the other side. Uh, Matt LaFleur said he was sad that he didn't get A.J. Dillon more work in week five, even as A.J. Dillon caught four passes, uh, literally doubling his 2020 receptions total. We had in a blurb, I think maybe from you, John, that he had never caught that many passes in a game since high school, A.J. Uh, AJ his Dillon. Career, his career high in one appearance. He only did it one game. He had three receptions in 35 games at Boston College. Otherwise, it was two or fewer. Uh, also, four so was a career crazy. high for the NFL in 17 games. And so to see him get 12 touches on 21 snaps and four targets on 10 routes compared to Aaron Jones' 29, that's the important part, is that Aaron Jones really didn't go away even though he did lose 12 touches to A.J. Dillon. It's just it's just odd to think like that's how now all of a sudden they want to use him but I will say it's significantly better than the dud we thought we had as a contingency player through the first month of the year. So are we buying into LaFleur's comments? And maybe are we just getting back to finally the Jamal Williams situation where like we know Aaron Jones can weather this. We didn't really know how the committee would shake out since A.J. Dillon's skill set is, in theory, so much different than Jamal Williams's. But I mean, it was Matt LaFleur saying he basically wants to get back to this true 1A, 1B, where both backs can catch passes both backs and get goal line carries or am I still just like projecting too much reading into this too much? That's kind of how I read it. And there is room for that to happen because like what LaFleur has control over is who's on the field, not necessarily. I mean, head coaches, I mean Urban Meyer said head coaches don't have control over that, Pat. So, <laughs> well, uh, maybe Urban Meyer doesn't, <laughs> but I think LaFleur probably does. And uh, Dylan only ran a route on 24% of dropbacks last week where Aaron Jones was at 71%. So there's actually quite a distance between them 
uh, you know, if he's going to be like calling screen passes and stuff for Dylan every time he's out there, um, you know, then he could he could drive Dylan's uh, target share even above Jones. But I, I think what he probably means is like let's get Dylan out there running a few more routes because he's shown that he can be used as a receiver. But you you could see Dylan double his routes and still see fewer targets than he had last week because he was targeted on 40% of his routes. That's very, very high. So I think like the, the comments could be correct. They he could mean them. They could lead to something happening, and we still might not see quite as much volume as we saw last week. Kyle, are we dropping Robert Tunyon? He's the tight end 31 by total half PPR points. He has 82 yards on the season. I mean, it's hard to give up the ghost here after he scored so many touchdowns. It was a legit big play threat last year, but five games. How long can we hold out with Robert Tunyon? I think, you know, it depends, like most situations. But, if like, the thing is, if you have, and these are not premier options, if you have Dan Arnold, like Ricky Seals-Jones, these types of players, I'm probably starting them over him. I mean, his targets per route run is slightly down. His target share is slightly down compared to last year. And the thing was, you could simply not afford any loss in volume last year because you knew the touchdowns weren't sustainable. You just don't see players score like double-digit touchdowns on something like 50 targets. It's just not going to happen. But the thing was, well, he's not being drafted as if he's a top three tight end. So as long as the volume sustains, we can handle a little bit of touchdown regression. You cannot handle extreme touchdown regression plus slight volume backstep and have any even usable fantasy weeks hardly. So any guy who has a pulse right now, honestly, like I think if you're if you're in a really sharp league, like a tight end premium league or a league that just people are turning the waiver wire, maybe there aren't better options. But honestly, I think there are almost certainly are at least one or two better waiver wire options in all but like really aggressive tight end premium leagues. That's the most frustrating part about it is that if you've held on to Robert Tanyan, you've probably missed out on guys who we're yeah. pretty confident in, like Dawson Knox, uh, yeah. Dalton Schultz. And then here is Tanyan, who's had 10 yards or fewer in four of his five games. And it's easily explained. He's played 68% of the snaps the past two weeks without Marcus Valdez-Scantling. But it doesn't matter because Devontae Adams is averaging 13.5 targets the last four games. Five this targets. offense runs through him through the passing offense. There is literally nowhere else to get. We're even talking about A.J. Dillon's pass catch work that was four targets and that's like the best it gets beyond Devonte adams so there's just no room for anyone else receivers included justin and so good thousands of summer deals at your nordstrom rack store save up to 60 percent on new arrivals from vince rag and bone adidas joe's mark jacobs and more great brands great prices every day at nordstrom rack but hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
The NFL season is in full swing, and the NBC Sports Predictor app has you covered with Sunday Night 7. Predict what will happen between the Seahawks and Steelers for a chance to win up to $100,000. It is free and easy to play. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. We're going to close the show with the Exposed Bowl and the Coachless Raiders and Punchless Broncos. Crane, no one on either of these teams is really doing anything but what is the deal with Noah Fant? Uh, he has 114 yards since week one. He's not popping, even though like there's so many targets for the taking in this Broncos offense. You just what, what is the, the lay of the land with Noah Fant? I think the biggest thing is he's got a 5.9 yards per target, and that's not good. But also the type of thing that I'm very willing to bet against, particularly with a young, athletic, very good prospect, guy who's been very efficient, Prior to this in the NFL, everything about Noah Fant says, you know, we we would expect him to be a little bit better than average in yards per target, not very poor. So if you're betting against that, then you're looking at the fact that he's been targeted on 20% of his routes. That's pretty good. He's running around on 78% of dropbacks. That's very good for a tight end. So the usage is actually right where we want it to be. He just needs to play more efficiently. And, you know, the state of tight end, like, if you have Noah fan, I think I feel pretty good about it. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been what you want to date, but you're set up pretty well going forward with Noah fan. Concurrence here, Kyle and Daigle, we, we still know Noah fan fans. I mean, I think I think we Pat says, right, I don't I haven't seen anything concerning in the underlying usage. His top games have been 10, 8, 6 targets to I mean, they have games where they score seven points. So you're probably going to get dusted on those weeks. But like. I'm still, he's not in the Robert Tunyon area, right? His usage is good enough, unlike Tunyon's, yeah, yeah, where yeah. you're not picking up Dan Arnold and starting him over Noah Fant, even if, sure, the uh, the overall lackluster appearance of the offense does cap Fant's ceiling. It still caps Fant's ceiling at running circles around Robert Tunyon, who's just like an ancillary piece of his team's passing attack. And one other thing on Fant is that since Hamler went down, we've seen his routes really spike. He was at 86% of dropbacks two weeks ago. He was at 93% of dropbacks last week. And prior to that, he's you know down in the 70s or even the 60s. So that is actually extremely bullish for a tight end to be on the field that much. And he's getting targeted at a pretty high rate overall in the season. Um, last week was, was pretty poor, but two weeks ago, he was targeted on 27% of his routes, running around on 86% of dropbacks. That's awesome. So... Overall, I actually think that the season-long numbers might even understate his upside because we've seen a change in role a little bit with some of the injuries. And last week, I think it was more than Hamler. It was Alberto also going to IR, but that's good because that means moving forward, they know they don't have another tight end to use. Thus, Noah Fant will just always be out there. And like one reason Noah Fant that he's probably underperforming is Tim Patrick is getting a lot of targets and doing a lot with them. He's had 89 yards in two of his past three games. Are we calling Tim Patrick a wide receiver three right now? He seems like a guy – he's just like the platonic ideal of a wide receiver four, I feel like. But is he pushing into like wide receiver three territory, Tim Patrick, Kyle? I mean, he's seen as many or more targets in every single subsequent game this year. We saw it last year. I believe he had a trio of 100-yard games, and it was the same scenario. They couldn't maintain a healthy receiving core or a healthy tight end group. That's exactly what's happening this year. The reason he's getting more targets in every subsequent game is because one game they lose Judy, the next game they lose Hamler. And then, as Daigle pointed out, they lose Albert O, who was playing a significant role in the offense as well. He wasn't just playing this 
five or six snaps kind of guy like he was throughout the few games he played last year because he was mostly banged up. So as long as they continue, as we know, you know, Albert O on IR, Jerry, Jerry Judy will be coming back soon, I believe. So that would probably be when you finally say Tim Patrick can go back to the waiver wire. But until he is not the team's number two receiver, he's at least, I would say, probably more in that wide receiver four range because I still think he's a distant third in terms of the overall pass catching options. But he's at least usable for fantasy purposes. I don't want... Cortland Sutton to get lost in the shuffle behind these two guys either since Sutton does have the second most air yards in the league while leading the Broncos in targets and tied for third in the league with five end zone targets this year but he's only the wide receiver 33 in fantasy points per game right now because he's scored just one touchdown to date so when the regression happens it's going to look more like floodgates opening than just one touchdown to get right so stay strong and true with Sutton. 17.18.2, which means, you know, the touchdowns could really come in bunches. Uh, Daigle, I'm going to throw this one to you. Do do we have a rant on the Raiders? What is the state of the Raiders? Or is this sadness? Just can't even get mad. It's such a ridiculous tire fire. Short term, it's a disaster. Uh, The team was already crumbling. I imagine they do so again. Interim coach known around the league behind the scenes with a Napoleon complex, someone who just wants to be in charge with his stature. And so short term, yeah, I think this year is already lost for the Raiders. Derek Carr's past two games, 210 yards or fewer with a touchdown in both. Long term, though, I genuinely am curious to see what happens, especially if Mike Mayock stays on board, because free agency, this team has been a joke, most recently giving Kenyon Drake the league's highest money for a backup running back. And then, of course, even without Peyton Barber the past two weeks, just three touches for Drake. Also, for the draft, was that Gruden or Mayock, since they've been a joke as well? David Damon Arnett in the first round, not even usable in an NFL defense. And then most recently, Alex Leatherwood in the first round, starting him at tackle, even though everyone said that's too high to draft him. He got run over, moved him to interior this past week, run over again. And so overall, like I think the decision-making, while short-term, because that was Gruden's strength, was in-game decision-making, something he's done so much better game planning than so many other coaches are getting far more credit, it's like true. Mike McCarthy. Like the Cowboys will eventually fail in the playoffs because Mike McCarthy doesn't know in-game decision-making. But long-term, I think it's actually hopeful for this organization to build properly. That is the ridiculous part. Gruden was actually doing a really good job game planning, mm-hmm. and he was just kneecapping. I think it was probably Gruden in the front office. I mean, I'm sure Mayock was pretty into some of these guys. Like, if probably, you know, no, I think Gruden, I, from, but... from everything I've read about the situation, it seems like it was more Gruden than anything else. And not even on top of the uh, seemingly poor talent evaluations, picking out good players in the NFL is hard. It is a very, I don't want to yeah. say it's a solid market, but it is a, a game of sort of flipping coins against other teams. But the thing is, you lose so much value when with the Leatherwood pick, with the Colin Farrell pick, you are reaching picks and picks and picks ahead of the supposed market value from every every major talking head to every average Joe on their on their couch making mock drafts could have told you those guys didn't need to go that high. The Raiders could have had them picks and picks later. So Gruden, while making the most of a depleted roster, was the cause of his own depleted roster. So, you know, you can give him credit on one end. Yeah, (laughs) you can give him credit on one end, but he's, uh, you know, he is kneecapping himself and then looking like a hero because he struggles through those broken kneecaps. But all you need to know about the Raiders' first-round draft, they've had six first-round picks over the past four years, and I think objectively the best of them is Henry Ruggs. It's been Alex Leatherwood, Henry Ruggs, Damon Arnett, Cleveland Farrell, I guess maybe Josh Jacobs, and Colton Miller. And like that, you just want to talk about age. You, you can go back and even say, uh, you know, Josh Jacobs was a wash too. 
Yeah, and, the, and like Alex Leatherwood, by the way, I mean, he took a right tackle and never like Mayock pre. He's like, I know it's gonna be controversial, uh, but he thought it was gonna be amazing, and it was even worse than we expect. Wait, even if he'd been a good rookie right tackle, we we're like, you know, what was the point of that? Um, instead, he was a disastrous rookie right tackle. And I also like. I, I recognize that the Raiders are having a pretty decent season on offense, but Gruden, I still think, was not like calling an amazing game. Um, particularly, you can see like they just weren't running play action at all. Uh, Derek Carr, forty fourth in the league in, in play action, right behind him, Nathan Peterman. Like they they don't run play action. We know from you know Staley, like it doesn't matter what the game plan or what the uh, the rushing game is is doing in terms of its efficiency. Like you should be running play action. It works. That's kind of one of the real red flags to me when I'm looking at coaching tendencies. And, you know, he was really popping there. They were passing more. They weren't so run heavy. But I think some of that is just that we're so used to to Gruden being, like, highly inefficient and in kind of his entire offensive design that the fact that he, they were actually pretty decent in pass rate over expected this year kind of won us over. But I just want to point out that he was also doing some <laughs> dumb stuff. That's why I'm curious to see what happens with the passing game because we could see usage changes for – Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs, maybe they're just used differently altogether. So it'll be interesting to watch this week. Speaking of usage changes, one thing I wanted to point out was that Josh Jacobs has, I believe, five or maybe six career games of five-plus targets. Two of them come in the past two weeks, which is another thing that was always like borderline comical about the Josh Jacobs pick is he came out of Alabama. is like, well, he was mostly a committee back in college, but we know he's a good pass catcher. And then they just bang him between the tackles as if that's what he was drafted for, where he was really drafted to be more of a weapon-type player, at least a player who can make strides in the passing game. And then, and then in like 10 different twists of the road they make Kenyon drake as daigle said like the highest paid backup running back because of his pass catching one of the highest paid backups at any position in football not just which is insane and the idea is oh he's a good pass catcher we can use him like that and this is the first time they've ever chosen to use josh jacobs as a as a pass catcher out of the backfield when they are paying his backup to do just that it is like it is 10 different inception levels of just comical failures by this organization and by the coaching staff a 14.5% target share in that time, handling 28 of 32 backfield carries the past two weeks. Having said that, it came without Peyton Barber, but Peyton Barber may have been a product of John Gruden. So maybe they just <laughs> lean on Josh Jacobs, continue to do so anyhow. Are you, were you saying that John Gruden liked bad players? I mean, I've never noticed that. Um, he drafted Josh Jacobs. So. Yeah, I think we, we found out. Obsessed with bad players, John Gruden. Uh, and, and I think we found out that uh, Kenyon Drake is the Chase Daniel of running backs. Is that what we learned today? Yeah, I mean, what in the, like, uh, yeah, at least Kenyon Drake is getting all this work. Uh, well, hold that. He's getting literally zero work. All right, that's uh, really interesting uh, by the Raiders. And really interesting, just like this show. Am I right, folks? Good transition to end the show. Uh, am I right? High five. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. We'll be... Back with Matt Straup on Thursday to recap the final eight games on this week six slate. We got a lot of stuff up on the site. Still check out Daigle's waiver wired if you got high stakes waivers running Wednesday evening. Got the walkthrough coming from Crane on Friday. Got my rankings coming on Tuesday. Got a Kyle Q&A Wednesday evening. Got DFS building blocks Wednesday, Friday evening with John and Kyle. Just check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for the other Pat, for Kyle, for Daigle, I am the real Pat. And we'll be back tomorrow. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.